0: Welcome to the I Know a Thing podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Kelly. And this is Lauren. Today, we're with Michael Snyder, author of seven books and several blogs, including the economiccollapseblog.com. Michael is a frequent guest on major radio and television shows all over the nation, and his websites have been viewed more than 100 million times. Welcome, Michael. We're so excited to have you on our show
1: hey thank you for having me on today
0: absolutely so the way that i found you is i was actually i saw a link um, on the news to another podcast you did a few months back and i was really intrigued by how much knowledge you have on events that the mainstream media do not report on and um, i'm also a researcher uh, and i look at alternative news sites uh, to try and get more details about what's going on in the world so I was really impressed by how um, well-versed you are in current events and how you're able to link them to historical events and synthesize it so that people can understand it. So I got your book that you just released, End Times. I loved it. I couldn't put it down, and I've been reading your other books as well. But anyway, enough for me. Um, I would love to hear about your background and how you came to be a researcher and a writer.
1: Yeah, it, it's been a unique journey. It's been a unique journey, uh, you know. Uh, uh, if we go back 15 years, it's a long time now. But 15 years ago, I was actually an attorney, right mm-hmm. in the heart of Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. So you think if you're going to affect the world, Washington D.C. that's a great place to do it. But I wasn't. I wasn't anyone important. There's hordes of attorneys in D.C. You know, they say somewhere around one out of every 10 uh, people in D.C. is a lawyer, something like that. Um, it may have changed by now, but that was back in the old days. Um, but I, I, every day, I was getting up, I was going in, to uh, you know, and doing very meaningless work. I mean, it was just so meaningless. But it, you know, it paid the bills. But going in, but I was distressed at what I was seeing in the world around me. I was thought, what in the world can I do? No, number one, nobody knows who I am, like literally nobody. Number two, nobody cares what I have to say. So why, how in the world could I ever make an impact? Well. I started writing and at first my audience was so small, you could have measured it with a microscope, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I kept at it and that's the key. You keep at it, you keep going. And eventually my writing started to strike a chord. And then in late 2009, which seems like ancient history now, but I, I started the economic collapse Blog blog.com. Uh, uh, and it, it really took off because um, at the time, we were just dealing with a horrible recession. So many people had uh, you know, lost their homes, so many people lost their jobs, people were trying to make sense of what was going on, and they knew they weren't getting truth from the main mainstream media, which is even more true today. And uh, so uh you know, I uh, it, it it exploded. And shortly after that, I started Endoftheamericandream.com, also the I have the most important news And and ever since then, I've been writing, and and uh, shortly after starting the Economic Collapse blog, God took us out of there, and brought us where to, uh, and now we're we're literally in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. but uh, touching and reaching people all over the world. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I just started up a Substack, and that's already been read in fifty four different countries. Wow. Uh, around the world, and it's been less than a month mm-hmm. that I, you know, since I started the Substack. So, uh, you know, and then you know, I mentioned the websites, but then a lot of people know me from places like Zero Hedge and elsewhere, where my articles are taken and republished on dozens and dozens of websites all over the world, mm-hmm. um, conservative websites, Christian websites, patriot websites, and where they're read so much more than they are on my own websites. Mm-hmm. And so that has just multiplied and magnified the impact. So I praise God that He's taken someone like me, who literally no one knew, no one cared about 15 years ago, and has now given me a platform and a voice uh, to touch people all over the world. Um, and that's been one of the great things about the internet, it's given p- someone like me, someone like you, the ability to communicate on a massive scale without having to go through the corporate gatekeepers. Um, so, but. Then what have we seen the last few years? All of a sudden, the gatekeepers, the politicians, the elite, they've been trying to get control back. Mm-hmm. So they've been trying to censor people like us. They say, don't talk about vaccines, don't talk about, you know, election fraud, don't talk about a million different things they don't want us to talk about. And so that's made it more difficult to get the message out. You know, particularly over the last four five, six, seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, than it was in the old days when I first started. But we keep pressing forward. We keep uh, getting the truth out and and people keep coming. uh, But it's certainly not as easy as it once was.
0: Yeah, true. So let's just jump in. So um, I was listening to a podcast uh, last year that you did talking about the Russian-Ukraine war. And I'm wondering, like, just in the last year, like, you know, how do you think it's evolving? Do you like who are the major players on the world stage and what steps are you seeing for them to put an end to this war?
1: Yeah, I wish there would be an end to this war because it's a very dangerous thing. It could have been stopped literally before the war began because the Russians, they had security concerns. They didn't want Ukraine to join NATO. They didn't want uh, Ukraine to be shelling the, the breakaway republics and you know, and and they, so they had some concerns. They weren't being completely unreasonable. I, you know, the U.S. officials could have sat down with them and say, OK, let's find a way to resolve this, to address your concerns, to address our concerns. And let's try to keep a war from breaking out. But the Biden administration refused. So we had a war. And so now we've had this war for over a year. And still U.S. officials are saying no, no peace talks. In fact, uh, uh, shortly after the war began, the Ukrainians and Russians were talking, and it looked like there might be a peace agreement possible, but the U.S. and the British and the other NATO allies said, no, we're not going we, to go along with this. You, we we don't, don't do this. And so the Ukraine pulled out. And so now, I mean, there's no peace talks on the horizon you know, anywhere. And now, at this point, what we're facing is this is really a proxy war between Russia and NATO, and more specifically a proxy war between Russia and the United States. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, the United States is providing far more of the funding than anyone else so far. It's over $200 billion and counting that we poured in this war in Ukraine. And in fact, they're just announced they're gonna be doing another aid package. We provided far more of the military equipment than anyone else, including Ukraine far more of the ammunition than anyone else, including Ukraine, uh, far more of the intelligence than anyone else. And, and you literally telling Ukraine, okay, here are the Russian targets. Here's where to shoot. Um, and then, you know, most Americans realize this, but so all so many of our tax dollars that are going in are being used to hire giant armies of mercenaries to fight on the front lines because the Ukrainian army that existed at the beginning of the war pretty much was has been devastated, decimated, uh, but the Ukrainians went and they kind of forcibly recruited a whole bunch of new people, basically, in a lot of cases, literally dragging men off the streets. But that wasn't enough either. So they, they've hired these these tremendous amounts of mercenaries. Yes, some from Western countries like the United States and UK and other wealthy Western nations. But primarily it's from Eastern European countries, whether it's Romania, uh, Poland, Albania, hung, in Hungary, uh, you know, places like that, where they're hiring Eastern Europeans to come and, and do their fighting for them, paid for by our tax dollars. Um, but so it's really, you know, a, a kind of a, a a army paid for in large part by the U.S., equipped and trained. And, you know, we, we're constantly bringing people here to the U.S. to train them mm-hmm. at different locations here in the U.S., for the war over there and so the russians understand this very well the russians are like hey you're a direct participant this we're we're our enemy is nato this is really a conflict with nato and and they talk about it all the time and on russian television they talk about the how it is probably inevitable that this is eventually going to be a nuclear war Hmm. and that should deeply alarm all of us because the russians see this as kind of an existential threat they see it as the us and nato they not they don't just want to win a, a a battle in ukraine but they want to break us up they want to over get rid of putin they want to overthrow our government and russia as a world power and uh, you know kind of regime change and and western leaders have used the, that kind of terminology so i'm very concerned obviously and you're familiar with my books and and you know that uh, where i kind of see this going that you know you know, if 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 we get to the point of where the nukes start flying, that's that that's the end of our society. There's no future for our country. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- we don't want to do that. Unfortunately, both sides just keep escalating matters. Mm-hmm. Both sides just keep cro- creeping closer to that line, and at some point, somebody's going to make a mistake and a line's going to be crossed that won't be able to be uncrossed, mm-hmm. and uh, and then we'll be in a war that we, the vast majority of us, we never wanted. We we, we we trust our politicians, they would keep us out of such a conflict. We, we trust our, most Americans believe that our leaders know exactly what they're doing and that they're gonna be able to avoid such a war. But the truth is they don't know what they're doing. Joe mm-hmm. Biden's surrounded by an all-star team of warmongers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, literally people like Victoria Nuland and Jake Sullivan and the rest of that crew, Antony Blinken, not only are they incompetent, I'm very sorry to say that, but they are. But they, but they, they're they're extremely aggressive and they're warmongers. So that combination is a very dangerous combination. Um, and not only with Russia, but now they have us on them, uh, getting us uh, almost to the brink of war with China, which we can talk about as well. But this war with Russia is one of the wars of the apocalypse. I've been writing about the three wars of the apocalypse this year, and that's one of them. So I'm very concerned about where this is going uh because i you know i think i think this is not going to end well
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and you mentioned china and i'm curious that that really disturbs me the the partnership that seems to be forming with russia and china so maybe you could talk more about that i mean i had heard that they the leadership met um and then there wasn't a lot of follow-up by the mainstream media on what actually happened
1: yeah russia and china have been getting a lot closer and they've been forced closer over the last couple of years, because the US has gotten very antagonistic with both of them. Unfortunately, once again, the the, the Biden administration is just making error after error, but the Chinese are pr- pr- primarily upset about Taiwan because they, they consider Taiwan to be part of their sovereign territory. They say, it's always been part of China. It belongs to us. Anyone that suggests otherwise is gonna make us very, very upset. And, but in, you know, Instead of trying to calm things down, we've had Nancy Pelosi fly over there. Uh, you know, uh, Kevin McCarthy just met with uh, the, the the president of Taiwan. And, and our leaders keep doing all these things. We keep sailing uh, military vessels through the Taiwan Strait and keep doing all these things to raise tensions and upset China. Meanwhile, anti-China hysteria in Washington has reached levels now uh, we haven't seen in in decades where they, uh, our our members of congress and our politicians are becoming very antagonistic and saying saying things uh, very harsh things about china of course china is in, in a similar way uh, it's turned very much against the, uh, the us and they're talking uh, president xi jinping openly talking about hey we need to prepare for war now why do the why does china need to prepare for war nobody's going to invade china but he's saying that because he knows the moment that they invade Taiwan, there's they're going to be at war with the United States. That's, a, that, that's how it's going to be. There, We're going to be in a state of war, our two nations. And so people need to uh, be watching this very, very carefully because this is another one of the wars of the apocalypse I've been talking about. And when we go to a war with China, just the economic impact al- alone would be absolutely devastating. People don't need to understand, first of all, if Taiwan gets invaded, the flow of microchips from Taiwan instantly st- stops, and Taiwan provides virtually 60 percent of the high-end computer chips that the whole world depends upon. Whether it's our computers, our cars, our you know the, uh, our, our equipment we, that run we run in our hospitals and so on, that alone would absolutely devastate the world economy. Then, of course, we got thousands upon thousands of products that come from China that fill up the, our WalMarts, our dollar stores, you know wherever we shop. The flow of all those products instantly ends. Then, most of the raw materials for our pharmaceutical drugs come from China. Yeah. You know, so you know, uh, there was a report in the New York Times which said, "Hey, if the flow of pharmaceutical ingredients uh, from China stops, well, our our pharmacies would quickly shut down, and our healthcare system would very quickly stop functioning. So we wouldn't even have a fun- really a functioning healthcare system." you know so the, the economical even disregarding the military impacts and and all that the economic impact alone of a war with china we can't afford it would be unthinkable mm-hmm. so we cannot have a war with china we should try to be settling things down saying okay hey Let's try to have a, a, a peaceful resolution here. We're going to go with the status quo in Taiwan. You don't invade, but we're not going to stir things up, and we're not going to be pushing them to go be independent. And we're not going to, you know, be be, be doing things to upset the status quo. And you know, that's kind of what we saw with 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 previous presidents, where they just said, "Okay, we're just going to go with the status quo," and that kept China from invading. You know, and kept things peaceful. But instead, the Biden administration's been stirring things up. Our other politicians have been stirring things up, and so China's like, you know what, you know, we're getting sick of this. You know, we're not going to let Taiwan go independent. We're, you know, if we have to, we're going to invade. And and they, and they've been pushed almost to the edge now. And so it's a very dangerous situation. And the, the instant China even does a blockade of Taiwan, like they did for a few days. Uh, here recently, it was kind of a practice run, showing us what they intend to do. But if they establish a permanent blockade, that's instantly going to be basically what we're in the, our two nations will be in a state of war. So, I know I've been kind of verbose, but people need to understand. Most Americans don't understand that we are literally getting close to war with China. In fact, one uh, four star general recently came out in the U.S. military. He said, "Hey, I think we're going to be fighting with China, a war with China in 2025." which is, you know, what, you know, uh, uh, two years from now. Sure. So we're getting very close to that. I'm extremely concerned. And of course, Russia and China, they've been conducting military exercises together. They've gotten a lot closer. They're cooperating economically a lot more. Uh, so they're basically allies at this point. And they're the the on the other side is the United States. So this is a very dangerous situation. And the Biden administration has got us into a situation where, not only could we be potentially fighting a shooting war with russia but also a shooting war with china at the same time Mm -hmm. which you know uh, which is unthinkable which is what we don't want to do and meanwhile a, a a third war which could actually erupt first a war in the middle east between iran and israel which could literally erupt at any time in fact they're already shooting each other Israel and pro-Iranian forces in both Syria and Lebanon, they've been shooting at each other. Um, Israel conducting airstrikes and the the others, you know, launching launching missiles at Israel and shooting back at the Israeli uh, uh, aircraft that come to conduct the strikes. So they're basically shooting at each other on a low level right now, but a major war where missiles are flying back and forth. That could erupt at any time. Hopefully, we still have a little bit of time before that comes. But when that erupts, the U.S. will inevitably be be involved on some level in that, too. So literally, there's three major wars, which we're getting very close to. Meanwhile, the U.S. is not even prepared to fight one war. So I'm extremely concerned about that. I write about this a lot, and I've I've been warning about it for years. If if you have some on my previous books, you'll go, go back several years. And you can see, oh, I was warning about this long before the war in Ukraine ever erupted, all three of these wars. And, and now we're so close and it's a very dangerous time.
0: And you also talked about the state of the U.S. military. So can you give us your, your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, my my father was a, a officer in the U.S. Uh, Navy. I was very proud to be a, a, the, the son of an officer in the U.S. Navy when I was growing up. And And back then we really were an unrivaled, unparalleled uh, military machine. Mm
0: -hmm. Nobody
1: else in the world could even uh, come close to us, but that has dramatically changed as Russia and China have greatly modernized and and surpassed us in a lot of areas. Meanwhile, the US military, the u.s army didn't even meet their recruiting goals this year so they've got to actually reduce the size of the army by tens of thousands of soldiers Mm because not a lot enough people even wanted to sign up to volunteer Mm -hmm. uh to be part of the military which is very very sad uh but young people just aren't interested then a lot of people have been turned off by the vaccine mandates they're like if i have to go in i got to get this vaccine i don't want to do that then a lot of people have been turned off by the political correctness and the uh you know that the, the, where they're pushing the trans agenda and so on uh, a lot of people turned off by that um and so there, all, all the branches are having trouble recruiting but particularly the army uh then you've got the navy which is at the smallest it's been in decades uh you know as it's been steadily shrinking as ships have been decommissioned and and there haven't been uh, enough to replace them you know um the 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 u.s air force a lot of our planes can't even fly right now uh because they're not even uh you know at that level of readiness um and and i you know if you have my new book End times i have a whole chapter in there about that and I've, i've written more on the website since then about the state of readiness the recruiting problems and then on top of everything else we've been sending just massive amounts of ammunition to ukraine to help them out but but we, they've been using it faster than we can even manufacture it, even faster than we can send it over. So now we we have a shortfall of ammunition. And they were talking about this in a hearing of, in Congress the other day. So we're not ready to fight a war just because we sent all so much of our ammunition overseas. We're not replacing it. We can't even replace what the Ukrainians are using. And so we don't have the, even the ammunition to fight a war right now. So we're not ready for even one war, much less three. So it's... Uh, so if you're not ready to fight a war maybe you should think about our politicians should think about that before uh, before provoking uh, other countries into a war that that we don't want in the first place.
0: Mhm. Yeah, no doubt. Um wanted to switch gears a little bit to the current economic situation that we've got in the US. I mean there's high inflation, high interest rates, credit crunches, banks failing possibly um, a recession coming about. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. And, you know, um, and also any advice that you have, like where should people be putting their money right now? Like real estate. I know you've talked about commercial real estate not being a great place. um, But anyway, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, those are some great questions. And, you know, what we're facing has been coming for a long time. Because you go back to 2008, 2009, the Great Recession well, our leaders still had some cards to play to kind of try to, instead of fixing things, they just kind of basically wanted to pump the bubbles back up. So they, number one, they pushed interest rates all the way to the floor and kept them there for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so that helped the economy in the short term, but distorted things in the long run. But then they also uh, flooded the system with money a couple ways, where our politicians have been on the greatest debt binge in all of human history, borrowing, spending trillions upon trillions of dollars that we do not have, basically stealing from the future to make the present better. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, the Federal Reserve, quant- initially it was quantitative easing, and then later on they just went completely nuts during the pandemic, where they were pumping trillions upon trillions of dollars into the financial system, mostly buying bonds, but they knew it would, that would uh, pump up stock prices as well, which just fueled this, uh, absurd stock market bubble, bond bubble, uh, cryptocurrency bubble, and so forth, uh, You know, which, which uh, created a very dangerous situation because now that these things are starting to burst, people are losing money. Um, but, uh, th- but what they did worked for a long time. And we had these bubbles and, and everyone was making money and everyone was happy. But people like me were saying, especially once we got to the pandemic and they just went completely haywire, basically just creating money like gangbusters i was warning i was saying hey this is gonna create a tremendous amount of inflation which it did right so now in you know, the other day uh, uh on twitter i saw a bakery in new york is uh selling a ham and cheese sandwich for 29 it's just that's crazy nuts. yeah 29
0: dollars. that's nuts
1: yeah so with, you know, the Federal Reserve, they said, oh, we've got all this inflation. What are we going to do?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so they said, well, we got to start uh, raising interest rates to fight inflation like they did in the early 1980s. But I warned, to say, you can't do that. You're going to break stuff. You're going to break stuff because it's a completely different environment than the early 1980s. So but they did it anyway. They started really raising interest rates and they did. They started breaking stuff. Um, And one of the things they did is is they started uh, breaking the banking system where we just saw the second and third largest bank failures in all of U.S. history Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank uh, and then other banks have basically over the past year, we've seen more than a trillion dollars pulled out of the banking system. And so these banks, uh, you know, uh, uh, and one of the reasons these banks got in so much trouble is because the bond bubble burst because... The, during the previous times, they loaded up on all these bo- bonds at low interest rates, and then interest rates went higher, and the value of their bonds had dropped like a rock. And, and so that was one of the big reasons why Silicon Valley Bank failed, Signature Bank failed, because the value of their bonds went into the dumpster. They the, the, the Federal Reserve blew a $620 billion hole in their balance sheets. Mm-hmm. And then the cryptocurrency bubble burst. At one point, about two-thirds of the whole crypto industry was wiped out thanks to the Federal Reserve. The uh, residential real estate prices are falling. In fact, uh, I just saw a headline today over the past year, prices have fallen at the the fastest pace in more than a decade. Mm -hmm. Commercial real estate, we're facing the greatest commercial real estate crisis on all of US history. That is just gonna be a massive, massive uh, problem for that $20 trillion industry. Um, So all these bubbles are bursting. The stock market is still hanging in there for now. That's kind of the one last bubble that hasn't really burst yet. But with all the other bubbles going and we're rapidly falling into a recession now, economic activity is slowing down because of uh, the interest rates going up so much. And so we're starting to see layoffs. This week, uh, Facebook talking about layoffs, announcing layoffs, Disney more layoffs, announcing layoffs. And we've also seen Microsoft layoff people. Um, we've seen Google layoff people. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You know, large corporations, our wealthiest, the most prominent corporations, Amazon, uh, you know, the list is endless. All over the country, laying workers off. We haven't seen anything like this since 2008 and 2009. Um, and it's going to get worse, unfortunately, because you mentioned the credit crunch. People need to understand when banks get into trouble, like we saw in 2008 and 2009, but potential for much worse. Now, mm-hmm. what do they do? They get real tight with their money. They're like, we're not going to, we're not going to make risky loans right now. Right. We're going to, we're going to, you know, start saying, okay, we're only going to approve loans for people that we really know are going to pay us back for businesses. We really know are going to pay us back. And so what does that mean? It means less mortgages for people, fewer auto loans. Um, in fact, Wells Fargo just laid off all their junior underwriters, you know, and said, okay, we're we're going to put a cap on, on who we're going to loan to. Um, it also means fewer credit cards being issued. But our whole economy runs on mortgages and auto loans and credit cards and the flow of credit, because, you know, who pays cash for anything anymore? Wealthy people do, but the vast majority of us are, you know, we're, 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 We want a new vehicle, we got to get an auto loan. We want a new home, we got to get a mortgage. That's how our economy works. And so when they get tight with their money, that's going to restrict economic activity. Then sales fall at these companies. They got to lay off more workers and it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling cycle. So this is where we're at. We're in the early stages of this meltdown. Things are already bad, but they're going to get worse. And people need to realize that. And so you want to position yourself. You want to get prepared what's coming you say what what should people do with their money well obviously you don't want to have your money exposed in the financial markets and so forth as there's a meltdown as people who see you only make money in the the financial markets if you get out in time Mm -hmm. and so you know in the cryptocurrency world at one point you know people are saying oh i'm i'm making so much money i'm you know but then the cryptocurrency industry crashed and lost about two-thirds of its value And then all the people that got in near the peak of the market just lost their pants, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So like I said, you only make money if you get out in time. So a lot of people didn't get out in time in some of these other bubbles. And the people that don't get out in time in the stock market are going to lose their money. But beyond that, people say people people have been asking me a lot. They say, Michael, what should I do? Should I get gold and silver? And I say, well, yeah, I think gold and silver are going to increase in price. But, but, there's a big caveat there because when things get really bad far enough down the line, you're not going to be able to eat your gold and silver. And then if you want to trade your gold and silver for to people say, hey, I'll give you my gold and silver. You give me your food. People are like, I'm not giving you my food. I need my food to eat for me and my family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So far enough in the long term, you know, I think it's much more important for people to have emergency food and supplies. And people say, Michael, how much should we have? Well, my advice is this you need as much emergency food and supplies as you will need for as long as you and whoever else is going to be depending on you plan to stay alive. And I know that sounds kind of harsh, but that's the re- in the long term. I believe that's the reality of what we're facing. Um, now in the shorter term, you know, I think it's very important to have an emergency fund, you know, before you get gold and silver, I would have a very, very sizable emergency fund because you need to keep paying your bills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know for example you know you go back to 2008 millions of people they lost their jobs and all of a sudden they couldn't pay the mortgage so then they lost their homes you know that they had been paying on for you know a long time you got to be keep paying your mortgage or your rent you got to keep paying your power bill whatever so P, i very much encourage people to get a a a sizable emergency fund because you know, as we get into a, this economic downturn, you're going to have to p- keep paying your bills, whether you have a job or not, whether your business fails or not, you got to keep paying the bills. So those are the two most important things for me, emergency fund in short term, and then in the long term, uh, emergency food and supplies, because eventually I believe we're not just going into another recession or even depression. Ultimately, what we're witnessing is the, is the, the meltdown and the failure of our entire system and we're going to see things happen that most people can't even imagine right now in the long term
0: mm-hmm. yeah and we've seen a lot of civil unrest in in the in the cities uh over the i mean since i guess covid times um and so that's another question i had for you is you know where would you if 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 we are to believe that we might end up in the third world war and you know the financial system is going to collapse like where would you go to live or where would you not go to live?
1: Yeah, well, that's a great question. And you have a lot of great questions. <laughs> um, but uh, that's a great question because you know pe- that's been on people's minds. People have been asking me about it. I, I recently wrote an article about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I've addressed in my books as well because people are like, man, you know, what?" and we really have seen a mass exodus. We really have seen pe- a lot of people move uh particularly from blue states to red states in uh, uh over the past few years especially since the pandemic started but ultimately you, uh, yeah you don't want to be in the large population centers you don't want to be in the big cities mm-hmm. um you know just this week we saw that we well we saw that footage from chicago with just a you know huge crowds of teens going completely nuts there in chicago and that was followed up by uh uh, in Los Angeles, where we saw hundreds of young men storm a gas station, completely loot it, completely go nuts. And if there if people are acting this way now, while economic conditions are still at least somewhat relatively stable, what is it going to look like? We get you know a bit down the road, and the economy is in massive trouble, and people you know are out of work, and they can't feed their families. It's going to be a lot worse. So, yeah, you don't want to be in the big cities. You don't want to be in areas with high population density, number one, because there there is civil unrest, but there's going to be a whole lot more. There is crime. There's going to be a whole lot more. So getting out of those areas, and that's hard for a lot of people right now, because a lot of people right now are like, Michael, I got a job. I don't want to lose my job. My job is in an area in a city or an area with a high population density. And I understand that. So do you have family or friends somewhere you can go if things get bad enough? Or can you get a second home, a vacation home, or, or make arrangements that you have somewhere to go when things get bad enough? These are things people want to be thinking about. Um, now, uh, beyond that, uh, yeah, if war comes, particularly, and I, you know, this kind of morbid to talk about, I suppose, but if there's a nuclear war, uh, you don't want to be near a military base or a, a nuclear silo, anywhere like that, because those are going to be the first targets. Russia is going to want to take out our nukes. Uh, mm-hmm. So all the nuclear silos, you're talking about like Montana and Wyoming and places up in those areas, kind of the upper Midwest, into the into the upper Northwest in some areas. That's where our nuclear silos are um, around the country. There, and there's hundreds of military bases, but those are going to be targets. Mm-hmm. um especially our air bases, especially areas where our our nuclear weapons are stored, Um, those are going to be huge targets. So you don't want to live anywhere near there because those are going to be substantial targets. Um, So that's something I'd encourage people to keep in mind. Now, beyond that, there's a a third big kind of area that I want to encourage people to talk about, and that's natural disasters. And this is something I've talked about in my books, very concerned about both coasts in the new Madrid fault zone, the new Madrid fault zone. When that goes someday and that, that, uh, that rips open, it's going to be absolutely devastating. And there's somewhere around 12 nuclear uh, reactors right along that area, which will be in. So we're, you know, we're talking like a a Fukushima nuclear disaster times 12 in along that area of the country. Um, So if people are looking for a place to relocate to, I say avoid the area right along the new Madrid fault zone, I'm very concerned about that rupturing and, and the devastation that will cause. Now, also, obviously, the West Coast is, scientists say we're way overdue for the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some shaking along, all along the ring of fire that circles the uh, Pacific Ocean. But uh, at some point, we are going to see the big one in uh, in uh, uh, California. We're going to see the the Cascade uh, uh, subduction zone up there in the northwest. That's another danger area. But anywhere along the west coast for earthquakes, for potential tsunamis, uh, very concerned about. Um, and you want to get away from the west coast anyway because of all the crime and civil unrest. Mm-hmm. But then the east coast, I believe it's at, is at risk of tsunami as well. Someday a, a very large tsunami in the east coast could uh, instantly wipe out many of our major cities very, very rapidly, particularly in the low level areas like Florida, where Florida is basically extremely flat, very flat. So someday, if you remember that tsunami that hit Japan, if a giant tsunami hit Florida, it would just rip across the whole state because there's not hardly any hills there at all, hardly any elevation. In fact, much of Florida is actually below sea level. So a tsunami would just rip right across Florida with very little resistance. So those are the areas which I would encourage people to avoid, because I do believe, as if people read my books, they'll see, I, I do believe that great uh, natural disasters are coming as well. So when you take all that into account, there's not a lot of areas which I would highly recommend mm-hmm. uh, in the United States. And the problem is now, because I've been warning about these things for a long time, and and but now the a lot of those areas have become really popular so real estate has gotten a lot more expensive mm-hmm. you know uh, in some cases doubling or tripling or more in certain areas what it once was a number of years ago so yeah you can still relocate but it's going to cost you a lot more now than it did before so that's that's going to be an issue for some people just cuz the real estate's so expensive but those are some of my thoughts people can uh take them for what whatever they think they're worth but uh um i believe the uh the hour is short because i believe so many of the things we've been talking about they're starting to happen and i believe we're going to see an acceleration of events in the months ahead
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so how soon do you think that florida might be underwater since i have investment properties there (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to figure out (laughs) maybe i should move it around
1: well i don't know that i don't think all florida will ultimately be underwater you know when a tsunami comes and rips across the peninsula I mean, it's just going to devastate and wipe out you know, pretty much everything in its path. But ultimately, once the tsunami has gone, the whole area will not be underwater. A lot of the, the swampy areas and the areas below sea level will be underwater. But the tsunami will rip across. And, and yeah, a lot of water will be left behind. But just the devastation of the wall of water going across mm-hmm. uh, will be uh, um, absolutely devastating. But um, so ultimately... Um, if people live in Florida, they've got properties in Florida, you know, to me, my advice for anyone anywhere, my advice is this, I believe the safest place to be is right in the center of God's will. So if God is calling you to be in Florida right now. Or if he's calling you to have property in Florida, or whatever the case might be, that's what you need to do. Because God has a plan. And if he wants you to get out of there in time, he'll get you out of there in time, mm-hmm. you know, but so. Ultimately, we all need whatever decisions any of us make. Yeah, we need to listen to godly counsel and wise, wise people and people who are giving us advice about what to do, what not to do. But ultimately, we're all servants of the one who created us. And God has a plan for each one of us. And so we need to be in prayer and and seeking his guidance because he knows exactly what each one of us should be doing.
0: Mm -hmm. So um, switching gears again, a little bit. So the, the biggest question that I've had from people who have read your articles is about the possibility of a worldwide digital currency and the implications of that, um, because that it seems like a slippery slope that could go downhill real quickly.
1: Oh, it, it does. And just this month, the IMF unveiled this at their, their IMF meet gatherings Uh, They unveiled uh, the Unicoin, which is a digital currency meant to be used all over the world in conjunction with the national currencies. But that most people haven't heard about this, but it's called the Unicoin. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just, just brought out. And it's being backed by this shadowy organization of banks and national governments around the world. And they don't even identify who those are but it's being brought out and is being promoted saying, hey, this can be used for global trade, for, for, for finance all over the world, but it's basically a digital currency, similar to Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, but it's issued by this shadowy global organization that we don't really know much about at this point. So that's one, but meanwhile, um, other national governments are have been working on their own digital currencies I think it's, it's inter- interesting because last year we saw the cryptocurrency bubble burst. So they kind of brought down the cryptocurrency industry and then they said, oh, by the way, the, you know, in the U.K., they said we've been working on our own digital currency and we're getting ready to test it. And the EU came out and said, oh, guess what? We also have been working on our own digital currency and we're getting ready to test it. Mm-hmm. And then the, the U.S. said, hey oh, by by some coincidence, we've also been working on our own digital currency and we're getting ready to test it with the big banks here. So they've been all working it. And, and, and in fact, right now on the official White House website, you can go and the Biden administration has this big piece about where they explain the benefits of a central bank digital currency being issued and They think, oh, this is going to be great and make transactions easier and all of that. And a lot of people think, well, what's the big deal? Most of our transactions are digital now anyway. We don't use a lot of cash except for small transactions. But these new digital currencies which are coming out are going to be different because they're based on the blockchain technology, which has the potential and which can track Everything that you buy or sell, basically, you would have no financial privacy at all anymore. Governments would know exactly what you're buying, exactly what you're selling, exactly what taxes you need to be paying, all of it. And if you slip up anywhere, they can come and get you. But beyond that, think of the potential. Okay, so someday you go to the grocery store, you want to buy some, you're having a party, you want to buy some meat. And you get up to the register and they say, oh, I'm sorry, you can't buy any more beef this month because you've already exceeded, you know, your carbon credits for this month mm-hmm. because you've already spent too much on, on meat already. You know, or they say, oh, you want to buy a gun? No, I'm sorry. You you went to see a, a, a psychiatrist a couple of years ago. No, we're not going to let you buy this, you know? You know, so this whole social credit type of system where they could restrict what you buy or sell. And then ultimately... The end result, a real tyrannical regime could say, you know what, anyone that wants to be a real troublemaker and, and express opinions on social media that we do not like, you know you know what we're going to do? We're just going to cut you off of the system entirely where you can't buy, you can't sell at all. If you've been a, a bad boy or a girl, we're going to completely de-platform you from our central bank digital currencies. So you don't get to participate at all because you've been a really bad boy or girl. Mm-hmm. And so then you won't be able to buy or sell. What can you do? You, you can't participate uh, in the economy at all. So you can't even have a bank account potentially. So the potential for tyranny should greatly alarm all of us. We should be all be uh, uh, very opposed to such a system because it's a great threat to our freedoms and liberties.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a dystopian movie, actually, you know, just it's terrifying that someone could be cut out of all of society or that kind of thing, the tracking. So not good. Um, So I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about the food chain, the global food supply chain, um, which worries me quite a bit. You've talked about like bird flus affecting, you know, like costs of eggs and all that and I myself for years have said where are the turkeys in the store I mean it sounds crazy but you know you used to always be able to get turkey and now it's like only at Thanksgiving do you ever see turkeys so I wanted to get your sense of all that and you know what you think
1: yeah, global food supplies have been getting tighter and tighter and tighter. With first the war in Ukraine, which Russia and Ukraine are two of the main bread of the world, mm-hmm. and they, you know, especially Ukraine feeds a lot of the Middle East and so forth, and so that has been a real, uh, real damper on on uh, on in terms of feeding much a lot of the poor countries. There on the other side of the planet, the war in Ukraine. Then we had the bird flu, which erupted about the same time as the war in Ukraine last year. Already, uh, well over 50 million chickens and turkeys dead in the United States, well over 50 million chickens and turkeys dead in Europe, elsewhere around the world, even more. So that is hit chickens and turkeys really hard. Then meanwhile, uh just absolutely insane weather patterns have been uh, you know, whether it's drought the worst drought in 1200 years, uh, in the, in the Western half of the U S the worst drought in 500 years in Europe, the worst drought in recorded history in China last year. And, uh, you know, really playing havoc with our, our food supply. What well, this week, there was an article about how the global rice shortfall will be the worst in more than 20 years, uh, here in the United States because of the drought, the, uh, global, uh, uh uh the uh the uh national cattle herd is shrinking uh the lowest it's been in uh, the smallest it's been in decades uh in florida the citrus greening disease and the hurricane that came through i uh, i think uh, the, the uh, florida uh orange harvest is going to be the lowest since 1947 something like that um you know so and all over the world again and again and again we're seeing these disasters which are restricting uh, global food output. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of this perfect storm for food production. Meanwhile, global population has just gotten larger and demand for food higher than ever. And so what it's resulted in less supply of food, more demand for food, global hunger has been exploding. In fact, CNN, this isn't Michael Snyder saying it, but CNN says we are in the midst of the worst global food crisis uh, in modern history, right now, right now, not coming down the road a year or two, right now, mm-hmm. and it's going to get worse because in the long run, people need to understand. Number one, fertilizer the the raw materials that we use for fertilizer, we're running out, mm-hmm. and in and and then the main raw materials, the the key raw materials, just are basically in five countries, one of them being China right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're dwindling, they're diminishing. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, we're running out of topsoil. Some areas of the world have already run out of topsoil. In some areas, but they, you know, when I was a kid, I remember, you know, I'd go to the Midwest, and there was that really deep, thick, black soil you could sink your fingers into. But we're running out here in the United States. We're running out all over the world, um, and that's a massive issue because we run out of topsoil. We, we're not going to be able to grow much food. But meanwhile. That we got a problem with microplastics because trillions upon trillions upon trillions that all the plastic that is discarded all over the world turns into these trillions of tiny little particles of plastics which then get picked up in by in the rain and the clouds and and literally rained and distributed all over the planet scientists wherever they've looked all over the globe on the tallest mountains and the most remote, remote parts of Antarctica, wherever they've looked, they finally found these microplastics, but they're raining down on our soil, which is being depleted anyway, and filling up our soil with plastic. And eventually you get enough plastic in the soil. Well, you can't grow food in plastic. So that is a massive problem too. So all these problems are working together to create a situation where no matter what our leaders do now, no matter what they decide, we're going to have global famine down the road Um, so people need to realize that you know even all the short-term things i talked about even if they all went away because of the longer-term things i'm talking about fertilizer alone without fertilizer half the global population starves because fertilizer makes it possible to feed twice as many people as we otherwise would so we're in a situation where we're running out we're running out of resources and no matter what happens there's going to be global famine no matter what and and the our our leaders know this but they're not telling people they're not warning people they don't want to alarm people but they know they know what's coming
0: why so that's that's my bottom line question with all of these issues like why are they not telling us any of this why are they not letting us get prepared
1: yeah well they they you know ultimately they don't want people to get upset They they want people to stay home. They don't think we can handle the information. Number one, or number two, they don't want to tell us bad news because then we blame them and we vote them out of office. You know, so they they want us to feel good about what's going on. You know, they want us to be happy about what's going on, and then the mainstream media, they uh, they they, the main people think the. The, the, the days when journalists looked after the average person are long gone. The mainstream media is going to protect the people that spend millions upon millions upon millions of dollars advertising their products. Mm-hmm. So they're going to uh, protect the big food corporations, which are poisoning our food supply with uh, Roundup and other chemicals. They're going to protect the big pharmaceutical companies that are um, poisoning our water's and poisoning us with the things they're injecting into us, you know? And so they're not going to ever report on anything which casts the big corporations in a bad light or, uh, you know, any of the uh, politicians that they favor in a bad light. You know, they've got agendas. They're owned. The All the big media corporations are owned by the elite, and the elite have their agendas they're trying to push. And so they're going to push those agendas, and they're not going to talk about the things that they don't want to talk about.
0: Mm -hmm. interesting so we're running out of time but i did want to get your opinion as a researcher a fellow researcher if you've tried chat gpt and what your impressions are and just your impressions about artificial intelligence in the future
1: yeah i've actually not tried chat GPT, uh but i have tried uh an artificial intelligence program that creates uh photographs so and you can type in some of the keywords Mm -hmm. and very quickly, it'll come up with an amazing, amazing pictures that it created uh, of whatever topic, the keywords you put in. I'm really in awe of what what artificial intelligence can do. Mm -hmm. And just today I was reading an article about how soon we're not even gonna need lawyers, which I was once an attorney, (laughs) because now artificial intelligence can do a lot of things lawyers normally do. So it's going to affect, if given enough time, artificial intelligence would take over just millions and millions of jobs all over the world, Um really render a lot of the work that we do now useless, because we we wouldn't be needed. Um So that's got to alarm a lot of people. And it's not just artificial intelligence, but robotics, which are becoming more advanced and cheaper, you know, where we, you know, there's, Uh, You know, the other day, I I think I was reading about a McDonald's that doesn't have any human employees at all, which is uh, just crazy to me. Um, But, you know, then you're, you know, you you go into a lot of these stores now where they have self-checkouts, which I hate. I hate the self-checkouts. I just thought I'd throw that in there. I hate them. Uh, But, you know, human workers are getting phased out all around us. And so the elite, they're looking forward to a world where, oh, we've got computers and software and artificial intelligence running everything for us what do we need all these billions of useless eaters you know really and today the gap between the wealthy and the poor is greater than it's ever been in human history mm-hmm. and especially you know the the last decade or so the rich have gotten a lot richer meanwhile the poor especially now our standard of living is being dramatically eroded but uh because the rich all the money that was introduced into the system, most of it went to the rich, but it's created so much inflation. Now, uh, you know, our money doesn't go as far as it once did. So we've got this giant gap. And so there's a lot of resentment on both sides. The elite are like, all these useless eaters are ruining our planet. We don't even need them anymore. Then the, uh, those, the rest of us are saying, oh, these elite, they're living the high life. They have all the money. Meanwhile, we're suffering, we're angry at them. So there's kind of the two sides. There's a lot of tension and that's going to feed into... The civil unrest that's coming up, um, you know, with this Robin Hood mentality of take from the rich and give to the poor, which we're already seeing. Um, So I think this isn't a good thing. And then down the road, not only with the uh, increase in artificial intelligence and technology, but we're going to see increasingly, we're already seeing a merging of man and machine, transhumanism, we're seeing merging of man and animals. Uh, where bizarre scientific experiments where mm-hmm. they're they're monkeying around with human DNA, animal DNA. You know, the future of humanity given enough time would be extremely bizarre, extremely odd and strange. And the pace of change is happening now it's at a, a blinding pace. It's happening so quickly now, you can't even keep up with it. I mean, more is happening now in a year than once happened in an entire decade. So... It's a really strange, dark, odd time for humanity, but but let me say this. There's no other time in all of human history that I would rather live than right now. Mm-hmm. Because all of human history has been building up to a grand crescendo, the great battle between good and evil, everything, ultimately, all of God's plan, all of what God has been doing for all these thousands of years, it's building up to a grand finale, a grand crescendo, and we get to be here for it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And, and people need to understand God put you here for a reason now. And if he didn't think you could handle it. He wouldn't have put you here. Now, I don't know if God put us here because he saved the best for last or if we were all that he had left. But either way, we're here. Mm-hmm. And we've got a job to do when we and, and so I'm so excited because it's when times are the darkest, but the greatest light is needed. Mm -hmm. And so me and my wife, were just ordinary people living in the middle of nowhere, but we're literally touching millions of people all over the world Uh, and uh, and, uh, we're doing a tremendous amount of good. So I love to be able to do that. I love to live at this time in human history where we get to be here, have such an impact. At such a dark time, it's the worst of times, but I believe it's also going to be the best of times. And we get to prepare the way for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which, and there is no end of the story that is greater than that.
0: Yeah. So where can we find your books and your blogs? Can you, you know, for everyone who's interested, I'm sure they want to hear more.
1: Yeah, I've got three websites I already mentioned, the economiccollapseblog.com, endoftheamericandream.com, and the most important news.com. But if people want to find all my work in one place, like I just mentioned earlier, I just started a Substack. And so if you wanna, you can subscribe and you can literally get all the latest updates right in your email box. Um uh, delivered right to you. <laughs> and and so if you go to if you go to Google and you type in Michael Snyder Substack or Michael Snyder Substack, it'll take you right to it and, and you can sign up. And then the book we are talking about today, we are talking my latest book entitled End Times, mm-hmm. uh, which you mentioned, and it's a, and Maybe. then all my other books, they're available on amazon.com in paperback. I'm, I'm an old school, I like the paperbacks, but it's also available in Kindle format if you like that format. But if you just go to Amazon and you type in Michael Snyder or End Times Michael Snyder, it'll come right up. And when you do get the books or you support the work in some other way, You help us reach people, touch people all over the world, getting the truth out, which the mainstream media is not doing. But I thank you for your show. We're trying to do it. We're trying to wake people up while there's still time to do so because time is running out.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I have to say this has been super enlightening and I appreciate all of your efforts and your research and analysis. It's been great. And Hopefully we can have you back sometime soon and we'll dive into your books, your book series. I've read three of them now and they are fascinating.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow, I'm honored that you have read three books because you know what? Surveys have shown about 90% of people that buy a book never even read the whole thing. So the fact that you read one book and then read two more, that's a high, whenever anyone tells me they read my whole book, I consider that to be a high compliment because most people never even read the an entire book once they buy it
0: um i stayed up until three in the morning on one of them reading it so they're pretty good
1: (laughs) wow well thank you that (laughs) makes my day i love to hear that you know as a writer you work so hard on these things when people say hey i really enjoyed it that's a blessing so thank you and thank you for having me on you and your partner that are doing these shows Mm -hmm. may you guys be greatly blessed in this endeavor and may you reach more people than ever before
0: Oh, I appreciate it, Michael. Thank you so much for being on our show.
1: Oh, thank you for having me on. It was, it was fun. I love to talk about these things.
0: Awesome. Join us next time on I Know a Thing with Coach Sherry. We will tap into her years of experience with teenage girl drama. Coach Sherry is the founder of TeenWise and an international community leader in parent and teen education. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is I Know a Thing, a podcast by Ordinary Moms exploring what we find curious.